Ms. Alex Carr. As Brian mentioned, the pastors did want me, uh, before we uh, take a look at the book of Romans, uh, kind of reintroduce myself uh, because we had joined earlier a couple of years ago. We had left and then we'd come back and joined a second time. Uh, so there's probably several, several of you that I really haven't met yet uh, or gotten to know us. And so uh, my wife uh, is uh, Nicole Carr. And uh, our son, Timothy, who's six, he's with us the first time uh, Timothy gets to see his daddy preach today. And, uh, and then we have three-year-old Elias uh, in the nursery and one-year-old uh, princess, Geneva Grace, uh, in the nursery as well. Um, and so we uh, are delighted to be back with you, uh, members, once again. Uh, we also hope one day, uh, Lord willing, to plant a church here in Huntsville as uh, one of our uh, future plans. And uh, there'll, there'll be more information uh, at the right time in the future that will come out for that. Um, and uh, I was kind of chuckling um, when my wife just asked me, is it weird to see Dr. Carr on the bulletin? And I said, yes, it is, because uh, that may make you think you're going to get a better sermon uh, than, than you might actually get. So, uh, but maybe there's a little grace because I just finished, uh, so I don't really know uh, what a doctor is supposed to preach like, because uh, I just finished back in May from Southeastern Seminary, one of, our, uh, uh, one of the sister seminaries, and most of you know Southern, but I, I chose Southeastern, where I actually met Nicole, uh, and so she, uh, uh, she got her degree at Southeastern as well. Hers is in missions, mine's in Bible. Uh, and then I just finished the uh, dissertation on 1 Corinthians 14, 34, and 35. Uh, so if anybody has questions about that, I have major opinions on that verse. Um, and you're welcome that that is not my text today. Um, and because we, uh, we might be here for a while on that. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm not really sure what all to say about myself, so I'll just end there. Um, and so I'm excited uh, um, to look at the book of Romans. Um, and so if you'll turn back to Romans, uh, a little apologetic of why uh, I'm um, shaping this sermon. It's actually Romans chapter 1 through chapter 8 is what I want to consider. And any time I have said to somebody what I'm preaching about this Sunday, and I say, well, on Romans 1 through 8, and it's almost like a deer in the headlight look, uh, like, you know, my father-in-law asked me, well, are you, are you going to let him out for lunch? And, uh, and so, uh, let me give you an official and a not official um, defense of why we can look at Romans 1 through 8. The, the official one first, um, Romans chapter 16, verse 22 says, I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. That is, this is an entire letter, the letter to the Romans. And uh, I am sure that when this letter arrived uh, to the believers there in Rome from Paul, uh, that they read the whole letter, right? They, they sat down and heard uh, the whole letter. And in fact, in Colossians, Paul is telling people in Colossians 4 to read these letters. Um, so theoretically, I could do Romans chapter 1 through 16 uh, as a whole letter because we should uh, be viewing that. And in fact, when Pastor Blair taught Romans 15 the other day, he starts with context, right? And he gives us a general overview. Um, so this is a sermon uh, that's more of general overview um, other than a passage in Romans. Now, the unofficial defense of this is I want you to imagine um, going over and exploring the ocean. You can kind of take a plane over the ocean, and that's the classic 30,000 feet view over the ocean right, that, that everybody talked about, kind of like Pastor Blair did with us over Romans, 
take a plane over. Another way to explore the ocean is on a boat ride, right? You go and enjoy wave after wave up close and personal, and that would be verse by verse through Romans, which you definitely wouldn't get out for lunch. Uh, verse by verse through Romans chapter 1 through chapter 16. But you can, you can enjoy that over time and take a boat over the ocean. But what if there was another way you wanted to experience the ocean? What would you do if you were in between a plane ride and a boat ride? You would go parasailing. Now, who has been parasailing before? Show of hands. Parasailing? So, you, you start on a boat, but then you're attached to a rope, you get a, your parachute or whatever they call, call that on, and you go off from the boat. The boat's driving with the rope attached, and you are gliding over the ocean. And if you've got a good driver in the boat, what will he do? Sometimes he'll slow down a little bit and let you dip your toes in the water and take you back up. Right? I remember I enjoyed uh, parasailing years ago, um, I think in the Dominican Republic or somewhere, and, and it's a fantastic time to parasail. And that's what I want us to do in Romans today. Romans 1 through 8, I don't want us to go 30,000 feet, but we're not going to take a boat ride either. I, I kind of want us to glide over Romans. And if you look at your bulletin, I've got a few verses um, in your sermon outline on your bulletin. Those are the verses we'll just kind of briefly dip our toes in. Um, as we kind of think through Romans 1 through 8, because there's an argument that Paul is making about the gospel and what I've talked about, what we gain in the gospel, which is our salvation, and what you lost in the gospel, which is sin's power over your life. You lost that in the gospel. And so these verses that will um, very briefly dip our toes in in the river flow of Romans 1 through 8, um, I want us to think about. So first, of course, Romans chapter 1, which we'll spend a, a little bit more time because there's really um, a few different things in Romans chapter 1 than one main point. Uh, but uh, chapter 1, of course, starts with the gospel that Paul teaches us that the gospel comes from God. It comes from God himself, and that the gospel is about Jesus. Notice in verse 3, concerning his son. So what is the gospel? The gospel is about Jesus Christ, that Jesus, exercising God's power, came and suffered death on a cross. Even though as one of the criminals who was hanging beside him, rightly declared, this man has done nothing wrong. Jesus did nothing wrong and yet was crucified like a criminal. Why? And of course we know why. For our sins. His body was laid in a tomb and on the third day he rose. Verse 4. He rose, declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness, by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now the gospel not only saves you from your sins, but then here's my point and I think part of the argument that Romans is making, the gospel changes you. When you believe the gospel, you are changed. Look at verse 7. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. 
called to be holy ones. The gospel will change you. If you believe in Christ, that Jesus took your sins away, then what is that left for you to do but to live without sin? To live as a saint, which we'll think through what that means and looks like. Of course, we're in a fallen world, and you've got to think about what does it mean to live as a saint. But what I want you to feel, I want you to feel the weight and the push of Romans to say, you are a saint, and we are trying to live out what we already are. If you are in Christ, you are a saint. So then how should you live? Well, that's Romans 12 through 16, which is another sermon. But Romans 12 through 16 would show you how then you should live as a saint. But then Paul says, okay, now first, he, he, he kind of wants to always in his letters start out with prayer and thanksgiving. So he says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith has been proclaimed in all the world. So he's praying for his missionary travels to Rome, and he's praying for the Romans, and he's giving thanks. And I think this is instructive for us because myself included, my first thing I want to do is worry about things. Like a lot of you, got a lot going on, uh, this, that, and the other, and, and my first temptation is just to worry about it. Uh, can we do it all? Do we have enough money? Uh, uh, what about uh, this sick kid? You know, all, all of a sudden, now, now we've got to take care of our kids. And, the, and we're just, we're going all over the place. And then our first, our first reaction is to worry about it. Worry, 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 worry. But God is calling us to prayer first. And to teach us that the things that we're doing, the spiritual tasks that we are trying to accomplish for the Lord, he's calling us to prayer. And I would say we are a people of prayer providence. I believe that many of us are, are continually uh, people of prayer. But what I want us to see is that what we are trying to accomplish for the Lord has to be done by prayer. Whether you're on the missions team, whether you're a Sunday school teacher with the kids, uh, whether, whether you're getting ready for worship, all of these things that we're doing for the Lord, we have to do them with a sincere, true dependence upon the Lord. And how do you express that dependence upon the Lord for what we're doing? It is, the Bible teaches us, it is prayer. And then Paul does something that is not is something that we don't typically think about when he moves straight into chapter 1 to the wrath of God. When he talks about the wrath of God, he talks about the gospel, and he talks about God handing over humans to the consequences of the sin we choose. And again, on your, on your bulletin, you can follow along the verses that I'm pointing to. So in this case, in your bulletin, Romans 1, 24, 26, and 28. In 24, 26, and 28, says God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, 24. 26, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. And 28, uh, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Now, in chapter 1, of course, some of you might be thinking there's things about homosexuality in chapter 1. I'll refer you to the gender conference we did last November here. 
where uh, we did uh, some teaching on that. Uh, it's on our church's website for the gender conference. So I'm not going to uh, discuss that again at the moment. But what I do want us to see here about God's wrath is that, and this is something you don't typically hear, part of his wrath is already present today. Because when we think about God's wrath, we think about the end time judgment, which we should. We should absolutely think about God's wrath at the end time judgment of the world. When, when Christ, as king of the world, judges the world. But in another sense, God's wrath is already present because what's he giving them up to? He's giving them up to the lust of their hearts, to dishonorable passions, to a debased mind, to do what ought not to be done. So there are things that are happening with human beings that we're doing, the sin that we're choosing, where we are choosing idolatry instead of God. We are choosing to worship and serve and love the creation over the creator. And we've gotten our choices wrong. And God has, gone, God has basically said, okay, here you go. And sin has destroyed us. Sin has destroyed the good creation. And it, part of those consequences is part of the wrath of God being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So one of the things we have to think about is the already not yet of the kingdom of God. So we've heard that in other aspects, right? The kingdom of God is already here, but not yet here, right? Christ has come, but he's also coming in the future. God's blessing of salvation has already arrived for us. We are saved, but we will also be saved in the day of the Lord. But what about the wrath of God? If you read Romans chapter 1, a lot of these details are not about the future. They're about the now. But you're, and I'm scratching my head and I'm going, but wait, this is talking about God's wrath. Well, look in verses 29 through 31. He's talking about things like envy, murder, strife, deceit. These are all the things that we're taking part of and the consequences thereof is part of God's judgment on us. Sometimes it's easy to look at big global things in the world and say, oh, well, it's God's judgment, coronavirus, hurricanes. And, and what's easy about that is we can deta detach personally and say God's wrath is somewhere out there, okay? And so I can just think about it at arm's length. But this comes straight to the heart, straight to us as people, as human beings. And the murder and the strife, the deceit, the maliciousness, hating God, being prideful. These are all part of us experiencing the judgment of God where we have chosen sin over choosing God. And God gives us up. But, here's the good news of the gospel. When we understand that, then we say, and that's what Jesus died on the cross to save us from. That we then don't have to go down that road. That we are saved from our sins. And then in Romans chapter 2, on the bulletin, chapter 2, verses 4 through 5, 
how is it that we receive this salvation in Romans chapter 2 instead of the wrath of God? Well, it's the call to repentance. Repentance is still what Jesus demands of the world. It doesn't matter how the culture changes. It doesn't matter if churches change. Jesus is still calling every single human being to repentance. So let's read chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So notice the contrast. God's kindness intending to lead us to repentance, and then those who have an impenitent or not repentant heart. In other words, those who are truly sorrowful over their sins, and those who are like, nope, I'm either going to ignore it or harden my heart, and I'm not sorry over it. We live in a day, especially let me speak to the men, our pride and our arrogance, where we say, I'm not going to tell anybody I'm sorry. I, I'm a grown man, and I'm not going to tell anybody I'm sorry. And God is like, I'm calling you to repentance. Humble yourselves, humble your hearts. Break your hearts over your sins. Jesus has come to save us, but he has still called us to break our hearts over our sinfulness. Because the, harden, the hardening of our hearts are only storing up wrath for ourselves on the day of wrath. God's patience towards us is meant to lead us to repentance. Because Romans chapter 2 says teaches that God's judgment is completely fair and impartial. On judgment day, he's not going to be distinguishing between the CEOs and the workers. He's not going to be distinguishing uh, between this group of people and that group of people based upon some worldly distinction, Jew, Gentile, or whatever worldly distinction that you want to hold up and says, well, I'm so-and-so, or I'm a doctor. God's judgment is fair and impartial. And he is looking straight into your heart. The eyes of God are looking straight into everyone's heart. And he's asking this question. Where is repentance and faith in your heart? Does he see it? Repentance over sin and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. When you listen to a sermon like this, you might think, I've heard this. So preaching even through something like Romans, and as a preacher when you're preparing to preach, sometimes you scratch your head and you're like, okay, gospel, wrath, repentance, faith in Christ. And you think, I'm pretty sure Providence Baptist Church has heard this. Right? Anybody want to try to preach to Providence Baptist Church sermons they've already heard? It's not the easiest thing in the world. But that's part of where we need to think, how should I listen to a sermon? We don't listen to sermons only for our own, for our own 
person, our own self. You listen to the sermon for your own soul's good, but then you're listening to the sermon to be equipped because there are people in the world who don't know this. And you are being equipped to then take this message to the world. So that's why we and the pastors are reminding you of the same things over and over. Because as Pastor Blair preached in Romans 15, we have a mission. That we have to continue to remind ourselves of the basics. And so if you find yourself almost tuning out or bored of like, okay, well, I'm going to tune that out. I've heard that one. Say, no, 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 remind yourself. Say, I'm being equipped. I'm being reminded and equipped so that I can go share this gospel message, this, the only hope for the world with others. I'm being equipped. Because, again, God's judgment is impartial, which shows the need to share the gospel with the entire world, regardless of their status in life. God's wrath and judgment is not going to be concerned with how much money anyone has. And we have a lot of people in the world who think they're okay and they're such and such and so and so and somebody because they have a lot of money. They think they're okay because they have a lot of money. You know why? Because they can walk in any place in the world and people just get in line. You ever work somewhere where the boss has millions and millions of dollars and the boss walks into his job and everybody just kind of lines up, yes, sir, yes, sir, what can we do for you, sir? And it's almost, and think about what that person might be thinking. Oh, I'm something, I'm somebody, right? No amount of money is going to make any difference on Judgment Day. So we not only have to go share the gospel across the world, we need to share the gospel with the CEO and say, look, God's judgment is impartial. God's looking straight at your heart and looking for repentance and faith. Because look at Romans chapter 3. We have underestimated our sin. We've underestimated the nature of sin. Look at Romans chapter 3, verses 11 through 18. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Sin has infected every part of our life. You know why? Notice the imagery Paul uses here. Your mind, no one's understanding your mind, okay? Your mouth, your throat's an open grave, tongue, lips, mouth, your feet, your eyes, You see that in the text? All of this imagery about our body? Sin's infected everything. Sin is taken over as a power. You're not doing what you choose as much as what the sin is. I mean, you're choosing it, but the sin is also reigning over your choices as well as a power. 
I mean, just as an example, your mouth is an open grave, meaning what the things that are coming out of our mouths and all the cursing, it's like an open grave. And remember that Jesus taught that what we say shows what's in our heart. What comes out of your mouth shows what is in your heart. And how can God forgive such evil and still be holy? And that's one of the things that Romans wrestles with. How can God forgive and still be holy? Imagine if a judge came and said, you know what, because I'm a loving person, I'm just going to acquit every criminal. I'm going to let every person out of prison everywhere. Imagine if somebody had this power and they just let every criminal go. Didn't matter what they did. Didn't matter who they hurt. Didn't matter how much money they stole from you. And I'm just going to let everybody go and acquit everybody in the entire world. He says, I'm a loving person. I'm a loving judge. What would the victims of all those criminals think? Would they think that judge was a very good judge? They would say, no, because the judge needs to be loving and also righteous. Very part of being a judge. So the question in Romans is, how can God be righteous and forgive evil sinners like me? And then, of course, Romans chapter 3, verse 25, gives the answer, whom God put forward as a propitiation, as a wrath-bearing sacrifice by his blood. What we just were reminded of in the Lord's Supper, to be received by faith. That Jesus, remember, he didn't do anything wrong. So he could bear the weight of sin and make the perfect sacrifice because he did not sin. He did not do anything wrong. He could bear it on the cross and extend to us that free gift, that free offer of salvation. Sin is a big deal. Sin is very serious. God takes sin very seriously. God took sin so seriously that he sent the Son to die on the cross for it. So church, let us be done with taking sin casually. Romans 3 shows that even though it's common, it should not be exercised casually or participated in casually. And then Romans 4 gives us the answer. With repentance, I also mentioned faith. Romans chapter 4, which we already read Psalm 32. The reason we read Psalm 32, notice in Romans 4, 7, and 8, Paul quotes Psalm 32, which we read earlier, about the forgiveness of sins. And this is in a context of exercising faith in the Lord. And I love John Calvin's quote. Look at the front of your bulletin. John Calvin says this, And here again God is said to justify us when he freely forgives sinners and favors those with whom he might justly be angry with his love. That is, when his mercy obliterates our unrighteousness. I love that. What a God. God's mercy obliterates your unrighteousness. That's how he can forgive our sins. 
On the cross, he took it out. Sin's power, he took it out on the cross. And then you might say, okay, faith and repentance, how do you, how do you apply this text to our lives today? Well, Paul takes this doctrine and he applies it to us himself. Look at the end of Romans chapter 4, the very end of Romans chapter 4, verse 23. When he was talking about it being counted to him as righteousness from Abraham in faith, he says in verse 23, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Us and our, 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 our. Us, the believers in Rome and the church today. Paul is pressing upon us the message of Scripture. That look, preachers do not have to make the Bible relevant. The Bible is relevant automatically. Just hear the message. Hear the call to repentance and faith. Hear the call to be counted perfectly righteous by faith in Christ, where his mercy obliterates our unrighteousness. That is automatically relevant to you. On a side note, some of you who want to preach one day, maybe, maybe you're in the youth group and you're thinking, hey, I want to be a, a preacher one day. I want you to remember this. You preach the scriptures and they are automatically relevant to the entire world. You don't have to make it relevant. You don't have to do tricks to make the Bible relevant to us. And then Romans 5, and here's where we're going to see a shift in Romans 5 through 8 very briefly. And this, what I'm calling gospel logic about what we're gaining in chapter 5, this salvation, and then what we're going to lose in chapter 6. So chapter 5, just for a second here, verse 1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's what we gain, peace with God. But then he goes on And he talks about all of these other spiritual blessings, grace, joy, suffering produced endurance, character, hope, God's love, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. These are stark contrasts to the deadly sin of mankind which produces death. What do you get when you live in sin? You get death. What do you get when you live in Christ Jesus? You get hope and joy and peace and life. This is what we gain in the gospel. We've gone from death to spiritual life. Well, how? Pastor Brian's already talked to us about the rest of chapter 5. Well, in Adam, all die. In Christ, all will be made alive. All of those who believe and receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness in Christ Jesus. That's how we get these spiritual gifts. So I want you to think today, what is your most prized possession? What is your most prized possession in this world? Is it a luxury home, a vacation, a luxury car, fine dining? Now, if you have a nice car on the other side of this door, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, personally. I'm glad glad you have a nice car. Maybe you'll let me drive it one day. But what the world will say 
And if you spend enough time with unbelievers, here's what they'll think. It's the height of joy. Oh, if I could only have that vacation home, I would be happy. It's the height of joy. Whatever physical possession I can get, then I would be happy. And that is where we have to read the scriptures and go, wait a minute. This is our prized possession. Peace with God is better than a quiet night in your luxury home. The joy of God is better than the thrill of the long-awaited vacation. The character of suffering-produced endurance is better than cutting through a fine steak. God is calling us to a greater joy, the joy and the blessings of salvation that he's given us in the gospel. And then he says, that's what you gain, here's what you lose. Romans chapter 6, very quickly, Romans 6 verses 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Did you catch that? He, Paul is describing Christians in verse 2 as we who died to sin. When you are converted and you say, I'm a Christian, you could describe it another way. I have died to sin because that's what Jesus did on the cross. He put sin to death. And so when I'm united with Christ as a Christian, sin is dead to me. So our attitude toward the evil of sin and how disgusting sin is, even though it tries to appeal to you as something good, it is disgusting. Our attitude toward sin is, it's dead to me. I want nothing of it. God is greater and more blessed. His spiritual blessings are better. Sin's dead to me. Because there's some false ways to think about your relationship to sin. Here's some false ways. Let me name three false ways. One is the, oh, everybody does it. It's common. Just because something's common doesn't make it any less disgusting. Okay, but that's a false way. Oh, it's just common. Everybody does it. That's one false way. A second false way to think about sin is, I don't really think much of it. I don't really think about sin. I don't really pay any attention to it. They would just live in sin, but they would kind of pretend it doesn't exist. Put it out of their mind. Live their life and don't think of it. The third false way is to misunderstand our justification, where after one sin, then you're like, oh no, I'm condemned. Whereas as a believer, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So just because you fell into a temptation that day as a believer, you have to remind yourself, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So don't think after every, you're a believer, but then one sin after every time, it's I'm condemned, I'm condemned, I'm condemned. That's another false way to think about sin. Because again, Christ has taken care of that on the cross. So the right way to view sin is 
There's no condemnation for me in Christ. I've been justified by faith and sin is dead to me. I consider myself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now let me balance this, and this is something you can talk about at your K groups. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 says, I write to you that you may not sin, but if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So when I'm saying this is our attitude, I'm not saying you're not going to mess up and sin. That's not what I'm saying, because you will. We live in a fallen world. We will sin, and we have forgiveness. But again, I'm pressing upon you What is your framework? What is your attitude? What is your goal as a Christian? And I'm saying Romans chapter 6 teaches us how to think about that. And for the sake of time, I'll just kind of summarize. You see on your bulletin the verses already for Romans 7 and 8. And so I'll just summarize at this point. Romans 7 We are either bearing fruit for God or bearing fruit for death. In Romans chapter 7, two choices, bearing fruit for God or bearing fruit for death. And then in Romans chapter 8, we see regular references to the Holy Spirit. And so when we see in Romans chapter 6, sin is dead to me, in Romans 8, we see how we accomplish this by living by the Holy Spirit. And so you can track in Romans 8 all the references to the Holy Spirit. And let me just at least read uh, Romans 8, verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Notice again, just like in chapter 6, verse 2, we who die to sin, how can we still live in it? In chapter 8, verse 13, it's by the Spirit we're putting to death the deeds of the body. You don't go in and fight sin by your natural power. It won't work. That goes back to prayer, a a dependence upon the Holy Spirit, or like the book of Jude teaches us, praying in the Holy Spirit, that we depend upon the Spirit to live lives as saints and sanctified lives. And so this is what I mean, Romans chapter 1 through 8, I've wanted us to dip our toes in, and see the river flow of Romans 1 through 8, see the argument that Paul is making that in Christ, in the gospel, you gain the precious spiritual blessings of salvation, and in the gospel, you lose something. Sin doesn't have power over you anymore. The power's gone. It's done. So... Why would you walk out the doors and go sin? Why? There's no more power. So let us live as saints as we are united in Christ. Let's pray. Father, uh, Lord, I have tried to press upon our church your message a burden of the Lord. And so I pray for all the hearts uh, here that they would uh, take uh, 
the letter to the Romans, and that you will use it by your spirit to sanctify them, and that we would think about uh, who we are in the gospel. And so we ask for your blessings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask Pastor Brian if you would come and, and mention our time of response, if you would, and then we will come and sing.